Well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in uh, Matthew 6 and Psalm 51 today. Uh, we've been doing this series on prayer. And um, boy, what a time to talk about prayer. There's a lot of good reasons to pray right now. Uh, I don't know if you have looked at the news recently, but uh, there's, I think, half the state of California is on fire right now. Uh, one of those uh, was personal to me. The Boulder Creek Fire in Northern California tore through a Christian camp, a CB-owned camp called Camp Hammer that I went to as a child, worked at as a teen. It was one of my first ministry jobs, place where I got to cut my teeth in ministry. And uh, all but one building is either damaged or has been completely destroyed by the fire. And the good news was the initial reports saw a lot of green still around that fire area, and they felt like the, the scenery is there. The buildings are not. Those can be rebuilt, but the trees cannot, and they felt like a lot of the trees may survive. But uh, those are good reasons to pray. We have fires. We have uh, storms hitting our uh, coast out of the um, south. We have a huge damage in Iowa where you're living through a pandemic still. These are good reasons to pray. Even closer to home, some better reasons to pray is we as a church are trying to, to figure out not how we just survive a pandemic, but as the body of Christ, how we thrive, how we make disciples in the current situation in which we live. We have a church whose budget is struggling. We have uh, people in our church who are separated due to this, people that are living in uh, homes that we can't go visit. Carmen just lost her husband. We can't go give her a hug. These are better reasons to pray. But let me give you the best reason to pray. The best reason to pray is that we were created in the image of God, but we rebelled against our Creator, and we were separated from Him. Our sin separates us from the God who created us relationally and eternally. But God loved us so much that he sent his son on a rescue mission to restore that relationship. And God's son, Jesus, gave his life. He shed his blood and paid the price for all of our sins that we might be righted with God, a right relationship through faith, and when Jesus died on the cross, there's that image, and the Gospels tell us that the curtain in the temple split in two, but God tore it. And what it represents is that you and I no longer have to go through a Levitical priest or a priest here on earth to speak to God. That prayer relationship was opened up in a new and intimate way. The best reason to pray is because we can talk to the Father because of a restored relationship through Jesus Christ. And so in a time like this, I hope that I don't need to make a case for why we should pray. What we're trying to do is improve our prayer life by understanding how we should pray. So we've been learning, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
give us this day our daily bread, and then today, forgive us our debts. And then he has a hard little extra line in there, doesn't he? As we forgive our debtors. So today, as we dig into that, I I don't think it's hard to understand what this is about. We're going to keep our pattern of what does it mean, why does it matter, how do we do it, but I don't think it's that hard to understand. But what I, what I know from being a pastor for many years is that we have a misunderstanding of what forgiveness and confession is. And I want you just to bear with me, and I'm going to dig into the notes in a second. I just I added this this morning. I think that many of us as Protestant Christians have adopted a Catholic view of asking for forgiveness. So let me, let me explain the Catholic view and why we differ and why Martin Luther said, that's enough. In a Catholic view, you're born in sin. We agree with that. In a Catholic view, you are baptized. That baptism puts you into a state of grace. Now, when you sin, you come, you come out of that state of grace Right, And you go to a priest. And the priest will give you some sort of penance that you have to do. Say something, do something. And then you're back in that state of grace. Now, that moment in the state of grace doesn't last very long if people are honest. In fact, one of my pastor mentors uh, grew up Catholic and and converted. And uh, he said, Dave, he said, when I was a little kid, I, I used to ride my bike to the confessional. And I would go to the confessional and I would confess my sins and part of me hoped I would get hit by a car on the way home. And I said, Craig, what are you you talking about? And he said, I knew that when I got home, I was going to do something that was going to put me out of the grace, right? Like that was about the only moment I had on the way home before I was a sinner again. And I had till next Saturday, wait to ride my bike to confessional. So he understood. That state of grace was momentary. In fact, so much so that most Catholics would agree that you can't really die in a state of grace, and so you go to a temporary purgatory till you pay off all your sins, and then you go to heaven. Now, that is not what we believe, but I see Christians acting that way. We believe that we're born in sin that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves, But Jesus paid the price for our sins. And here's where Martin Luther said, wait a second here. And when we in faith receive Jesus Christ, he justifies us. He declares us righteous. That can't be taken away. That is a constant state. It's done, finished. Our sins past, present, and future Now, so if that's true, then why do we pray, forgive us our debts? And the answer is in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven. When I sin, there is a relational hurt in that relationship. And I want to restore that. I want to make that... I don't... I don't get sent to purgatory. I don't get sent out of God's grace. I just need to write the relationship. 
And some of us act in this forgiveness mode, and we say, well, I know that, Dave. But we treat other people as if we are the Catholic God. And when they sin against us, we make them do penance. We might not tell them what it is, but in our mind, we've got a list. Or if the sin is too bad, we put them in a, in a mental state of purgatory. In other words, you just stay over there until we get to heaven and God tells you how wrong you were. And so we want forgiveness, but we're not giving forgiveness. So it's really important for us to really understand the importance of forgiveness. So what does it mean? Just in your minds for a second, I want you just to, those of you who who grew up in the church and you know this, I want you to say the Lord's Prayer in your your mind. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our... There's three different words that you may have learned. Um, forgive our debts is the one from the ESV. It's the one that I grew up with personally. Um, some of you may say sins. Anybody? Sins? Forgives our sins. That's from the Luke uh, chapter 11. His version says sins. So some people grew up saying sins. And then also trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses. Oh, okay, we got some trespasses there. Um, which you can see in... In Matthew chapter 6, later on as as, uh, Jesus expounds on this, and this is the only point he expounds on, in verse 14 he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, different word than he used up there, and so uh, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So you can see how that word, none of them are wrong, it's just different. But each word gives us a different kind of nuance, of what forgiveness is. And so ultimately, sorry, ultimately, uh, this is, uh, these are the three words, debts. Ultimately, this is a prayer for pardon, right? And so what we learn here is, now listen to this. The verse before, give us this day our daily bread. So just hearing that, how often are we praying the Lord's Prayer? Daily. Then we come in to forgive our debts. Daily? Do I need to go to the Lord daily and ask him to forgive my debts? Maybe that's what Jesus is trying to tell us here. And see, some people have gotten to the point where early in their Christian life is, oh yeah, I'm working through all this stuff, I'm doing all this stuff, and then they get older, and they well, I don't know, I think I'm doing pretty good. Daily, we're coming to the Lord and asking for forgiveness. Why? Because it's necessary. We either sin intentionally, rebelling against God. We sin in not doing something we should have done. We sin in thought, in attitude. And you know, praying, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's empowering. Now, I really wrestled with what I was going to say here because I don't believe what Jesus is saying is that it's conditional. In other words, if you forgive other people, then you will be forgiven. Because that doesn't really line up with the rest of the gospel. 
If it's conditional, then it's the gospel plus one more thing. The point is that we have been, we are forgiven. And if we've been forgiven, it's a fact that we understand how much we've been forgiven and it empowers us to forgive other people. It, it changes us. In other words, if you're not forgiving other people, it probably shows that you're not really understanding the forgiveness that you've already received. And we'll go a little bit deeper in that as we move along. So it's empowering. One person wrote, to forgive is to condemn the wrongdoing, but not count the wrongdoing against the doer. You forgive it, you condemn it, it was wrong, but you don't count it against them. And here's where we struggle with forgiveness. We want that debt paid. We want that wrongdoing paid for. We were hurt. Emotionally, physically, spiritually. We, were, we want that. But here's the problem. When we go to God, <laughs> then we have a different view of forgiveness, don't we? And so we have to understand what has been done for us. And that's why I believe here the word debt is used. Debt gives a different picture to that. So pardon us for how we have missed the mark. Um, The word sin often just means to miss the mark. It's a moral miss. And and here's the thing, and and I've used this illustration, it hurts this morning, because when I worked at Camp Hammer, uh, one of my jobs as a counselor was to occasionally have to work the archery range which with elementary students is not fun. And so it was on the side of this hill, uh, and up there was the camp, and then there was these hay barrels, and then there was these targets. And you got kids with arrows and bows, and you got to pay attention out there. It's actually more, it was more dangerous than the BB guns, actually, because at least they had some concept. But these things would sometimes, I mean, they would, hardly ever hit the mark. If if you were lucky, they hit the paper. And occasionally, they hit the hay. I had kids miss the hay barrels and hit the side of the hill. One day, I even had a kid miss the side of the hill. So miss the mark. It just... It, it could be, you could miss by a little bit, or you could miss by a lot. But you missed. We, and when we fail, we, we have a debt, we have to make a payment. But guess what? You don't have enough to make that payment. Now, the other word, trespasses, It has the idea of a violated relationship. Now, here's an example. If somebody breaks into your house and steals things from you, you have been robbed. If I break into your house and steal things from you, I've trespassed. Because not only have I robbed you, but I broke a relational trust as well. I violated 
the position that we hold as friends and neighbors and churchgoers. Right? It feels different when you find out somebody hurt you that you were in relationship with. That's a trespass. There's a great uh, video series on the Bible Project about uh, sin, transgressions, and iniquity that will really help you understand these words. So why does it matter? I just want to say it again. Confession should be a regular practice. And I would ask some of you to really think about when is the last time that you went before God and confessed sin? I think we really need to come to grips with um, our debt, how great it is. And we don't have time to go into this this morning, but in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable of somebody who owed the king a great debt. And the great debt that he owed today would be equivalent to $10 million. That's a pretty big debt, right? If you had a $10 million debt and you had an average salary, okay, not that you were Bill Gates, just that you, you worked an average job making you know, $40,000, $50,000 a year and you owed $10 million, how likely are you to pay that off? It's not going to happen. It's unpayable. And then the king forgives that person the $10 million debt and he runs into somebody that owes him a few hundred bucks. And that guy throws that guy into prison. And that's the picture here that Jesus has given us. You have this great debt that I have forgiven, one that you could never pay back. Therefore, forgive others. Forgive us our sins, our debts, our transgressions, as we forgive others. I think we also need to just come to grips with our shortcomings. Um, I was, uh, we've been doing these reading uh, program here for a couple years now, and uh, as a church, we've been trying to read through the Old Testament uh, through two years, and we've gone through it one time, and we're in our second time through, and the New Testament each year, and the Psalms each year. And this last year, some, some friends and I were challenged, to, let's, let's do the whole thing. This, this is a, a half version of, of a reading list where you read through the Old Testament in a year, the New Testament, and Psalms twice. And so I've been doing that, and it's been really awesome. It was a much... It, it was much easier, the transition out of the one into the two, because you just kind of doubled what you were doing. It was really great. So I've been reading in 1 Samuel this week, and it's where Saul sins against Israel, against God. And God tells him to go and destroy the Amalekites, and he doesn't quite do everything he's supposed to do. And Saul's attitude was a big deal. We did most of it. We just kept some good stuff. We're going to make sacrifices with it. And Samuel keeps pushing into him, and, and they're, they're fighting. And, and Saul has this poem in there in which he says, Rebellion, which is what Saul did, is like the sin of divination. In other words, your little rebellious thing is just like if you were, you were worshiping idols and spirits. And you go, what? Wow, this 
seems like a little bit of a contrast there. But when you sin against a holy God, the difference between your little shortcomings and Saul's shortcomings are very little. And so we recognize and acknowledge the ways that we are not like God. And we must come to recognize our violations of God's space. We break trust with humanity all the time. If your neighbor is a racist, then he's a racist. But if you are showing favoritism, you trespass because you violate God's law that we are all created in the image of God. So we need to confess regularly and we need to understand how to do it. So let's look at Psalm 51. We, uh, in this series, we've just been touching on these psalms that help us to learn how to pray, how to say these things. Uh, this is a really in-depth psalm, and uh, we could spend a couple weeks on it. We're just going to read it, and we're going to look at a pattern in which we can learn to pray prayers of confession and forgiveness, seeking forgiveness. So we see right at the beginning that... Uh, Um, This is in the subscript to the choir master, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So uh, I think most of you know the story, but in case you don't, David was the king of Israel. Uh, He had been given so much. He was blessed with family. He was blessed with victories. He was blessed with a kingdom. Uh, God had raised this little shepherd boy into this position of authority. David had everything that he could ever want, but he lacked apparently some contentment because he sat out on the roof of his kingdom and looked out and saw another man's wife and lusted after her and called her to himself and took her. And in that process, uh, she got pregnant. And so David tried to hide that by um, having her husband come home from war and Man was too honorable to sleep with his wife while his fellow soldiers were at war. So David tried to get him drunk, and that didn't work. And so David ultimately had him killed in battle so that he could cover his own sin. And Nathan comes to him and calls him out on this. And this is David's prayer, uh, seeking forgiveness, his confession. He says this, "'Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy.'" Blot out my transgression. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. And you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways 
and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices and burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered to your altar. Just note, first of all, verse 17, David's place that he came to because of his sin. He had a broken spirit. There's a place that we come to when we recognize our debt, when we recognize our shortcomings, when we recognize how we've broken relationships in which we feel broken by what we have done. A broken and contrite heart. The heart is in the right place. David's actions were in the wrong place, but his heart has been brought back to a right place. So what does this type of prayer look like? First of all, it's a cry for forgiveness. I don't know how else to describe this, but when you read these words, have mercy on me, it sounds like a cry, doesn't it? It sounds like, it sounds like he's just crying out to God. There's three words he used to describe God's character here. If you look at it, mercy, right? Have mercy on me. God is merciful. And then in that same verse, he talks about God's steadfast love. That is his, uh, we've talked about that before, his hesed. It's his, it's his loyal love that he has. It's a very special word, I believe, in the Hebrew. And then in the ESV, it says, Abundant mercy. Uh, in many other translations, it's compassion. And I think that that helps us a little bit. Uh, there's, there's two parts here, abundant mercy. It's one Hebrew word. And so what, what's happening here is he's, he's not just covering mercy again. He's saying something else about God. His mercy is abundantly merciful. It's compassionate. You know, and, and you, if you don't have a right view of who God is, you won't cry out to him in forgiveness. In other words, some of us have this view of God as just this old, grumpy old man who's sitting up in heaven waiting to zap you. And that's not who he is. He's compassionate. It's fun now to be old enough to use grandkid illustrations. But last week in the second service, we did a, um, a baby dedication for baby April, my granddaughter. And so we had some family here, and Jackie and, uh, was here with her husband and, and my other two grandkids. And so while I was preaching, my, my grandkids were all here on the floor doing different things. And they, they, I thought they were really good. I was pleased. And Leah was coloring. And about halfway through my sermon, apparently... Leah turns to mom and says, he's doing a pretty good job, <laughs> said the four-year-old. I'll tell you. Now, it's funny because I've told that story a few times, and it, it's kind of like, you know, did she say, he's doing a good job, or did she kind of say it tongue-in-cheek? 
And most of people, when I hear them the story, they think she said it tongue in cheek, which I take offense to. You know, there's just something, and those little kids just, man. And sometimes they do naughty things. I blame their mother. Um, But that doesn't, doesn't make me love them any less, right? So God has, he is compassionately looking at us. And what's so unique about this prayer, and, and then having read, read here Saul's response when he's confronted, Saul makes excuses. David says, you know what you really want, God, from me? You want a broken and contrite heart. That's the difference. Now, David follows up these words about God with three words about his own sin. He uses the words transgressions, which is that violated relationship. Good word here. He violated Bathsheba, Uriah, his relationship with Israel, and of course with God. Iniquity, which is more of a perversion. Uh, It kind of refers back to original sin. It's behavior that is crooked. And then sin, that moral failure of missing the mark. So David takes his sin and he's, he's, he's almost putting it up with God's character. And sometimes we have to do that. Because when we're praying, we go, man, I'm just, I, I'm the worst. God, how could you ever forgive me? Well, I have to remember that God is compassionate, but I'm terrible. We have to remember that God has a steadfast love. Oh, man, can he ever? Yes, he's merciful. We have to keep wrestling with the character of God because when we really recognize our sin, it's just a terrible thing. Second, David uh, comes to confession. And uh, there's three strong statements in here, just really quickly. He is aware of his sin uh, in verse 3. For I know my transgression. I I know what it is. And then he also, he understands he's aware of his offense. He says, I'm aware of my sin. And verse 4 is hard. Because he says, against you and you only have I sinned. If you know the story, you have to stop here and go, really, David? I think Uriah might have something to say about that. Right? Bathsheba. The army. What about the guys that led Uriah into battle and backed away from, they were friends. Against God, really? David recognizes his offense. And ultimately, first and foremost, it's against God. Now, there's certainly a lot of other people involved there. But sometimes when we do confession, let's be honest. We say, oh, God, please forgive me for having a short temper with the pastor. But but God, you know how he is. He certainly didn't make it easy on me. Right? We we have also, we, we want to say forgiveness, but... David's not saying that. He recognizes offense. And then ultimately, he also recognizes his nature. He recognizes his nature. I was born and decided that this is something that's this in me. Then third, he asked for cleansing. In verses 7 through 9, he uses some words that maybe we don't understand. So let me just give them to you real quickly. The first is purge in the ESV. That might be cleanse in your Bible. And he purge me with hyssop. Um, this is not some weird thing. Let me just, hyssop was a small plant. Uh, it was frequently found in the crevices of stone walls. So it's like a weed. 
And because of its shape and structure, it was used often in old times like a paintbrush, right? Rich could have painted the back of his house with hyssop. Um, in the temple, it was used as a brush and it was used to sprinkle blood. The first time that it's mentioned in Scripture is in Exodus 12 at the Passover. As Israel is getting ready to uh, have the, the first Passover lamb, it says, Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families. Slay the Passover lamb. You shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood, which is in the basin, and apply some of the blood that is in the basin uh, to the lentil and to the doorpost. Right? Remember, there was blood on the doorpost. They put that up there with hyssop. And so hyssop was a means which sacrificial blood was spread, Hebrews chapter 9. David is asking God to cleanse him with blood. David understand God's grace and means by which we can depend, and that is the sacrificial lamb of Jesus. He says, wash me. He recognizes that sin makes him uh, dirty, and so he asks God to wash him uh, in verse 7. Purge me with hyssop, wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And then he uses a term, blot out my transgressions. Uh, this is kind of interesting. Uh, there's old Bible manuscripts, uh, and I'm going to say it wrong. It's called palimpsests. Anyway, they were pieces of pyrus, uh, which writings were on. And so that was valuable stuff. Whatever they wrote text on was very valuable. And so sometimes there would be an old text you didn't know, you didn't need anymore. And so what they would do is they would blot out the old text, okay, major white out, and then write the new text. They would flip the paper and they would write the new text on top of it. And we can see this in some old writings. You can actually have, you can Google it and uh, you'll find actual pictures of this. This is what David is saying. There's a story that's written that I want you to blot out and I want you to write a new story. It's a beautiful picture. Have you ever felt like that? I don't, I don't like what's written about me. I'd like to start over. It's, a, it's just a, a beautiful picture here. And then David asked for a clean heart. And I'll go through this really quickly. We, we're very familiar with verses 10 and 11. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your peasants. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. He is asking for a recreated heart, right? Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, a, a new heart. Like, make, it, make it one like it should be. A new one. A renewed spirit. Boy, there's just something about when we get off track. And, and David mentions in this prayer, we don't have time to go into it, broken bones and and just the feelings that he has, I mean, he just he wants a renewed spirit. There's something that's taken out of, a, of us when we, when we sin, a renewed spirit. And then we struggle with this, uh, um, cast, not your, cast not away from your presence. And, and I think he's looking for a restored relationship. In the Old Testament, people argue the spirit came and went. In the New Testament, he's, he's with us always. And so, you know, we, we, we wrestle with this. But look, when we sin... There's a, there's a break in the relationship. And David wants that restored. Especially as king, he needs that. 
And with that, he's also looking for restored joy. Oh man, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Please listen to that. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. That which you have done, not something I have done. And then he also wants a restored walk. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Get me back on the right track. And so this is David's prayer. We can follow through this. And we don't have time to get to that, but notice in verses 13 and following, he makes a commitment to teach others. If, if when I'm forgiven, this is, man, this is pretty public. This is the king. And David is going to say, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to be honest about this. I'm going to be, I'm going to put this out there and I'm going to teach people what it's like to be restored by God. It's a commitment to do that. And I think our pride, when we sin, we are so happy that we don't have to go to a priest. <laughs> and, and that whole verse, you know, in the New Testament about confess your sins to one another, we don't want to really do that. We just want it to be private. And we don't want anybody to know about it. And we want to be restored. And we want to come to church and pretend like everything is okay with us. It's not actually the pattern that is given to us. The pattern is for us to confess our shortcomings, to be honest about them, and give God the praise for our restoration. And you and I can't think differently about anybody else because if we're all honest, we're all there. And then finally, it's kind of weird that he has this huge, you know, in-depth prayer, and then he says in verse 18, do good design in your good pleasure. You know, what? That kind of sounds like a weird statement. David is the king, and when his relationship is broken, it affects all of Israel. So what David is saying is, I messed up. And in fact, we're going to find out later in the story, in 2 Samuel, that his sin does impact the way that he makes decisions, and ultimately his son tries to oust him, and so it does impact Israel. David recognizes that his sin impacts not just Bathsheba, not just Uriah, not just the army. It impacts the body. And that's true of our sins as well. And so he is praying in these concluding remarks. He is praying for Zion. It's a prayer of protection that we're going to look at next week. So here's the application and action for this week. Again, we're asking you to pray through the Lord's Prayer. And this week, we're focusing on forgiveness. And maybe it's been a while since you've gone through that practice. So maybe dig into Psalm 51, look at your notes here, and, and pray that. But also, if you're going to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive others, you have to ask yourself the question, who do I need to forgive? Or what do I need to let go of? Am I holding people in penance or purgatory? Have I said, oh, I forgive you, but really I'm just kind of keeping you away? And, and you go, well, that's just, I'm being safe. It's really big in our culture today. And, you know, I just want to say, what if God did that for you? What if God says, oh, I forgive you, but I don't really want you around here? It's not a restored relationship. And then I, I want to ask you how you can tell God's story of forgiveness in your life. 
Our theme for this year has been to find yourself in the story, which sometimes we've lost in this whole pandemic thing. But the idea is finding ourselves in the story of God. And and when I look at this idea of of forgiveness and I look at David's prayer, I want to know how how can I give God glory by telling others how he's forgiven me? That's hard. Let's be in a really vulnerable place. How are other people going to respond? And so, but I think that's a fair question here. So work through, praying through the Lord's Prayer. Focus on forgiveness. Let God move you towards deeper relationship, towards those maybe who have hurt you in the church. And look for ways to glorify God by telling his story of forgiveness. Let's pray. God, there is just so much going on in our world today. And so, God, we pray that in the midst of that, your church, your body, God, that we would give you glory and honor and that we would lift up your name. We do pray that your kingdom would come. Lord, we long for that day where you are king and we are following you and you've restored, turned this world upside down, back into the way it was supposed to be. But we pray until then you would help us to realize ways that we are to live according to your kingdom principles. God, we do pray that your will would be done and as we look at the tragedies in California and um, the southern coast and Iowa and the political situation, the social situation, Lord, we, we sometimes, we don't know what your will is in this, but you know, we know that it's your will that we still love God, that we love people and that we make disciples, so keep us going on that. Lord, we pray for your provisions. As a church, we pray that you would provide. As individuals, we pray that you would provide. And then, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us. Forgive us for ways that we have not been the church. Forgive us for our own conflict that we've had right here at Hillsborough First Baptist Church over the years, over things that don't eternally matter. Forgive us for broken relationships. Forgive us for lack of forgiveness. Forgive us for having hard hearts. Forgive us for being selfish. Forgive our pride. Forgive our pursuit of wealth. Forgive our putting ourselves before other people. God, I pray that you would change our hearts, that we might bring you glory. God, I pray that we would be forgiven in the way that we learn to forgive others. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who made restoration, relationship, and eternity possible. May we walk daily 
in the faith and love that has been shown to us at the cross. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.